So about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago-ish, my family and I went go-karting. And I love go-karting. I love it. I love ramming into people, pushing them off the road. It's amazing. It's like so fun. So we brought our three kids with us, and we went to a place. We chose a place that had very fast go-karts, but also had d- double go-karts so kids could go with their parents or something. So on the track were three double go-karts, and guess how many kids I have? Three. So we waited in line like 25 or 30 minutes. My kids are 5, 3, and 1. They'll be, um, they're all born in August, so they'll be 6, 4, and 2 then. So I have an almost 2-year-old little boy, and he is so pumped. He loves anything with an engine, truck cars. He's going nuts, and my wife is trying to hold him and keep him under control. And he's seeing these cars, and he wants to get in them, and he knows his turn is coming. And, and so finally, we're in the very front of the line, right? And when you're in the front of the line, you go first. So they open up the gate. And um, my father-in-law takes one of my daughters. They go to their go-kart. I take my daughter, and we go to our go-kart. And I turn around expecting to see my wife and my youngest son, X-Man, sitting in the car, and I don't. I see the dad who is in line behind us with his kid. He cut in line, and he took my wife's spot. Can I just... (laughs) I look at her, and I say... You know, and driving around and driving around, I just see her fighting with my son who just so badly wants to be in the go-karts. You know what I wanted? Justice. <laughs> I'm raging. I'm driving by this dad and his little kid. And I'm like, I'm going to this guy out the front. I'm like, ah. I mean, I, I'm like, inside, I am raging. I'm just trying to be honest with you guys. I'm not trying to like, like, I'm angry. And so we get out, and I, like, the guy parks behind me, and I'm just kind of looking it out of my eye. I'm like, be nice, be nice, be nice, be nice. And uh, we get in line again. We have to wait another 20 or 25 minutes, and guess who's behind us? <sighs> line cutter. And I'm like, line cutter, <laughs> really. And I, the whole time, I'm just struggling. And you know when you're rehearsing in your mind the conversations you want to have with people? Anybody ever done that? Am I the only one here? Okay, good, right? And I'm like, oh, I would have looked so stupid, let's be honest. And if I would have done it, here's what would have happened. I would have woke up in the morning, I would have come to church, and he'd be sitting in the front row. It would have been God's epic justice and sense of humor. And I would have been like, confession, everybody. Here's, here's what's going on. And uh, so finally, um, we all get in, and I'm, I'm just I'm so frustrated. And the Lord like, bursts through my brain, knows I'm preaching on this subject in two weeks, knows that I've already been thinking about this, and Romans chapter 12, verse 19, just makes its way. Beloved, loved ones, children of God, if you're a believer in Jesus, this is for you. Never, ever, 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 so help me God, ever, ever, never avenge yourselves. Is this a suggestion or a command? Command, yeah. Never avenge yourselves. I'm like, okay, okay, but you don't understand, Jesus, if you were sitting in, in my shoes, if, if line cutter was sitting in front of you and it was your kids, you know? But leave it, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It was you know, close. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then I thought to myself, okay, all right, hell's hot, I'll wait, you know, like, that's fine, right? Don't lie, I'm just saying, it's what went through my head, I'm like, and then it's like the Spirit of God just put like a little inner voice in my head, which is probably just good theology saying, what if he's a Christian? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and it's like, okay, Michael, let's, let's have a little conversation here. Uh, I paid for his sins on the cross, 
right? All of my vengeance and wrath and anger at this line cutter, legitimately so, right? You know, vengeance and anger, right? All of that was put on Jesus. All of it. So here's the deal, Mike. I have no vengeance or wrath left for him because it was all put on my son. So where's, your, where's yours coming from? Who, who are you to enact vengeance on somebody that I'm not even in the mood to enact vengeance on them? Like, who do you think you are? And I'm like, oh, I'm pierced at this moment. And I love this, this, this uh, verse. Uh, vengeance is mine. I love how possessive God is of his own vengeance. It's like, look, um, you know, you have a kid, right? And how would you like it if you went um, and you're at the store and somebody else came in and started disciplining your child, right? They enter into your jurisdiction. It would kind of make you a little bit angry, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to enact vengeance on that person, have a little revenge here? But, uh, and this is what it's like when we enter into God's jurisdiction, vengeance is his, he owns it. We don't have the right to step into his territory and fulfill his responsibilities. In fact, our responsibilities are completely the opposite. We're supposed to actually love our enemies and feed them and care for them and be kind to them and pray for them. It's like, Lord, what are you thinking about? I just want vengeance. And he's like, Michael, I got that part under control. So when you have an enemy, here's your job. You love him like crazy. You suck it up. You put a smile on your face and you feed him and you encourage him and you say, hey, good job. And you go to the guy's kid and say, man, wasn't that so much fun? And you get over yourself and you leave it. You leave it. You let it go. And I'm like, oh, I hate, I hate this. And let's be honest. <laughs> I, I don't like it. I'm going to be straight with you. Um, there is a, a you. I'm trying to share my, this part of myself, but there's a you inside of you that you don't want people to see. I mean, your family sees it, right? But you keep it leashed. You put it in a cage, and you don't want to let it out. And it just takes the right circumstances to provoke you, where you let go of the leash, you open up the cage, and that person comes out. And we all have it. It's all in there. You can hide it. You might be better at controlling it, but there is a piece of us. And I'll tell you, for me, like in this moment, I'm sitting there, and I had a decision. Am I going to open the cage? I'm going to unleash the fear of my ridiculous, weak words, you know? And and I think what we find is that this isn't all of us, and there are circumstances that will provoke us. And David, we're going to watch, before he's the king, he's in this 10-year exile, and David is provoked time after time after time after time. And David is given opportunities to enter into the Lord's jurisdiction and take vengeance of his own. So open up your Bibles with me, First Samuel chapter 24, and I want to set this up for you. Um, David is in what is called the exile of David, this 10-year period between the time he's anointed to be king as a shepherd boy to the time when he actually becomes king. 10-year period where King Saul is hunting down his life. Saul, previous to chapter 24, has made at least 13 personal attempts to execute David. He's running for his life, fleeing to caves, into the wilderness, into the woods, everywhere he can possibly go. And the Lord has been protecting him at every single corner. And in chapter 24, David finds himself um, in an interestingly fun scenario. And the first thing we'll see that will provoke David to possibly take his own vengeance, we'll see what happens. And I think for you and me, is so relevant, is foolish advice. If you have notes, you can fill it in. I want you to watch what happens with me. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took three thousand choice men out of all of Israel. These are the best of the best, the strongest warriors. And he went to seek David in, uh, and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. That's, doesn't that sound like a lodge in the Wisconsin Dells, by the way? 
And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, and there was a cave. And in Engedi, where David is hiding, all of his men are in caves. These are deep, deep, deep caves. And Saul um, realizes, I have to go to the bathroom. So let's go to a cave. And where he was in a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men, they were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And I imagine, oh my gosh, David, 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 come on, David, 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 it's Saul, can you believe this? Oh my, he's going to the bathroom right now. This is amazing. This is epic. You go, shh, you're gonna, he's going to hear you. Have you ever been in a cave and you make any noise? It just goes, right? And imagine like, stop and be quiet. And they go get David, David, this is the opportunity you've been waiting for. Can they hear this on the audio? I don't know. <laughs> David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave in verse four. And the men of David said to him, here is the day which the Lord has said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hands and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Now, did the Lord say that to David? Like, it sounds all spiritual and good, but even if he did, that's not what he meant. And if you're David, what are you feeling at this point? Finally, I can end this living hell. I can finally free my men. I can finally um, intervene and stop this nation um, from going down a corrupt path under a corrupt leader. I can finally be the king that God has anointed me to be, and all I have to do is kill him, and all of my men will rise up, they'll rush out of this cave, and everybody will say, David, you're the king. Isn't that what you'd want to do? You'd want to end this, right? And uh, I want to tell you a true story. It's one of my favorite stories. And it was the first youth event I ever took kids on when I came on staff at the Village Church. 2003, December. And we went sledding and tubing. And many of you know um, John Kammerer. Matthew Kammerer loved worship here. It's his older brother. And uh, one of my favorite events in any, anything that's ever happened at Village Church and there's this kid who's a little bit older. John's in 10th grade, and there's this kid a little older. He's kind of bowling some of our kids, pushing them around. And, and uh, so this kid goes down, and he ends up popping on purpose. Like, he's going right after John's tube. And he goes down, he pops the tube, and all of our students are like, we got to go get him. And John's really smart, right? And so John, I'm probably thinking he's going to pop his tube in some weird way. I don't know, like, do something crazy. It's just going to be really funny. I don't know what John's going to do. And, and so everybody's telling him, John, you got to do something. you got to do something. And, and uh, we go back to the top of the hill, and I'm actually really angry, to be honest, at this point. I'm like, man, this kid's, this kid's a jerk. Somebody needs to have some words with him. John walks up to this kid. This kid's taller than him throws his arms around his torso, looks him in the face and says, I forgive you too, Popper. <laughs> I was like, yes! <laughs> like, I could not think of a better vengeance than that moment. And the kid just sat there like, okay. And John just walked away, got a different tube and started sledding. And I thought to myself, that is so perfect, but what probably did everything inside of him and me and all of our friends and every, I mean, I didn't say this, but all the kids were like, you got to go get him back. And I'm like, guys, don't get him back. Let's not start a fight. The kid's bigger than you. And anyways, that's stressful moments, but I love it. I forgive you too, Popper. <laughs> right in the eyes. We're in the middle of verse uh, four. Then David arose. We know what he wants to do. And he stealthily, I love that word that it's in the Bible, stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. I want you to see the tender conscience of David. This is the man who has executed and killed his ten thousands. This is a man who has shed the blood of many, many, many a man. 
And this is also the man who, upon threatening the Lord's anointed, all he does, he just cuts off the corner of his robe. Doesn't even hurt him physically. And even that is a sign of disrespect. And his heart, his conscience is so tender, it's so soft, he's pierced by it. And he responds, I think in right manner, in verse six, he says this. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he's the Lord's anointed. And so catch verse seven, it says, David persuaded his men. Literally, this means he tore them apart. So David is in the cave. Saul is on his way out. And he has this moment with his men where he is yelling. And he is saying, this is unacceptable. His conscience has struck him. He realizes that that same thing in them that wants vengeance is the same thing in him. And their words had actually pushed him to even move towards this place of vengeance until his heart had struck him. And then it says, David, verse 7, persuaded or tore apart his men with these words, and he did not permit them to attack Saul. Now, meanwhile, Saul rose up, and he left the cave, and he went on his way. Now David's heart is still provoked inside of him, and none of this is planned. This is all off the cuff, real time. And as Saul is walking out, verse 8 says, Afterward, David also, after he tears his men apart, rose up, and he went out of the cave. Now Saul's back is to David, and it says he called after Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And you know, and some told me foolish advice. They told me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, because Saul is David's father-in-law, See the corner of your robe in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. I want you to listen to verse 12. This is where David just gets something in this moment that I apparently need to learn better. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you but my hand shall not be against you. At the end of verse 16, we get to see Saul's response to this humility, to this kindness, to this mercy. Verse 16 says, as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul replied, is this your voice, my son David? Now catch this. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept and wept. And Saul has these moments of moral clarity, um, which seem to be few and far between, but it took this uh, act of non-retaliation, of humility, of entrusting David's life and his men's life to the Lord. Uh, It took this heaping burning coals on Saul's head for Saul to get that moment of clarity. You will find that when people are so mean that your overwhelming kindness kindness will actually give them these moments of moral clarity and they will realize just how foolish they are when you non-retaliate, when you step back and you turn your cheek. It is actually one of the most amazing things to watch is that act exposes their own folly and that's what happens to Saul here. Now, What did David get? What did he gain by not retaliating? Integrity, 
which is invaluable. The honor and respect of his men, glorifying God. And you know what? We're thousands of years later, and we're still looking back and saying, I'm so thankful that David did not take his own vengeance. And you know what? Some foolish friends were saying, kill him, kill him. You're justified. You deserve, you deserve this. And uh, I'll tell you, I've never seen more of this foolish advice come from Christians than I have when Christians break up or divorce. Um, we, give our, we give our friends this terrible, terrible advice and feedback. And, if, and somehow, in the midst of broken relationships, we encourage people towards acts of vengeance. And you, if you think about this for two seconds, you'll realize when your friends look at you and say, do it, do it, do it, it almost numbs the conscience in your mind and it makes it so much easier to enact vengeance. And you're gonna have these circumstances and there will be fools in your life who look at you and say, you deserve this, go for it. We'll get them back for you. And you just need to shut those people out of your life. You need to tear them apart and look at them and say, no, no. And I don't want to hear it out of your mouth again. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. I will not enter into his jurisdiction. I will not take something on myself that is the Lord's responsibility. He has expressly told me not to do that. And so we have to be able to stand strong in those moments because people are foolish. And sometimes Christians give the worst plausible advice in those moments. The second thing that we find that provokes to vengeance is disrespect. Can I get an amen from every like guy in this place who's ever felt disrespected publicly? Like, <laughs> whew. Um, in verse, or chapter 25, we're going to start in verse 9, and here's some context. David and his men are in the wilderness, and uh, there are sheep everywhere. There's this filthy rich guy named Nabal. He's a worthless man, filthy, filthy rich. And David and his men, uh, David told his men, you're not allowed to, to take anybody else's sheep. You're not allowed to steal anybody else's stuff. The Lord will feed us. The Lord will provide for us. And, and so they would actually um, help other farmers or other people with goats and sheep, and they would protect their sheep from, uh, from, from robbers or from animals. And so David had already protected and saved um, innumerable of Nabal's livestock out in the fields and his men, right? And so it's time time for this once-a-year party that they would have where um, the owner would bring all of his workers in. They would kill tons and tons of animals, have this huge feast, and they would all eat together. And David knows this is happening, and they're hungry. And David, after all, and his men have protected this man's land, protected his sheep. They've been good to him. Uh, Nabal knows about this. And finally, he sends some men and says, hey, could we have some food? Could we join you for your celebration? You have enough food. And look at verse 9 with me. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited, just like a good, pompous, selfish man who thinks too highly of himself. He makes them wait. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? Well, clearly you know who he is because everybody knows who David is and you know his dad. So apparently you know the guy. So we got a little bit of disrespect happening here. There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Now check out verse 11. Shall I... Take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come, who come from I do not know where. Now, what do you do when you hear this? You don't say a word. David's men are like, whoa, buddy, do you know how many of your sheep are alive? Because we exist, because we've been protecting you. No, they don't say a word. Actually, the text says, so David's young men turned away and they came back and they told David all of this. Now, what is David's natural response? Rage. You disrespect me. You disrespect all the things I've done for you. you, you I could have killed you a long time. I mean, the 
thoughts and the self-narrative that's going through David's mind. Verse 13 says this, And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword now. There's going to be some bloodshed in this place. And every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men with swords went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. I want to tell you a story. Um, I'm going to throw myself under the bus this morning quite a bit. Um, so we've lived in the same home for 10 years, a little more than that. And uh, there's been this experience that um, has honestly sent me to a place more times than I would ever care to admit. And the experience goes like this. Um, we'll come home, and it'll be garbage day. We'll put our garbage out. And, and uh, if we don't put our garbage cans away um, within a very short period of time, somebody whom I've never seen do this, but I know who it is, but I've never seen them, so I don't know that I know, but, um, but I know who did this. And uh, so for 10 years, this has been happening. And I'll come out, and the garbage cans will be in the middle of my driveway, so I can't get in. It will happen in the middle of the winter. It'll be 20 degrees below zero, and somebody will meander their way outside and put my garbage cans in the middle of my driveway. 10 years of this, and I am frustrated. I'm thinking, how old are we, right? That's what I'm thinking, right? And uh, so this just keeps happening. So a couple weeks ago, it's like the Lord knew this sermon was coming up, and so he's trying to just, like, keep me humble. And, uh, and so I come home, and it's sitting there, and I pull out. I'm in the street, so I have to stop. And my neighbor across the street is out, sweet lady. And I looked at her, and I knew she didn't do it, but I said, did you do this? And I knew she didn't. I'm just, I'm irrational at this point. I'm just so angry. Nothing good is about to happen. I'm just warning you. Like, this is not a redemptive story. This is actually just, I'm an idiot. That's what this is. And she, she didn't say a word to me. She goes like this. <laughs> oh, the rate. I move the stuff in, and I pull up my car, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, how old are we now? I know it's, I know it's this person. She validated this person. And so I, I get out of the car. I tromp over to his front door. And there are different kinds of knocks, you know what I mean? Uh, there's like the three knock, dee, dee, dee. hey, you home, right? There's the four knock, which is one, two, three, four. I'm angry, and you know it, okay? Like, do, 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 do. I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Like, I'm going to yell at the guy, you know? Like, you, maybe, you silly man. <laughs> like, what am I going to say to this person? I don't even know what's happening in my brain here. And I'm sitting here, and all of a sudden, here's what happens, right? It's like, you got to preach on this, you got to preach on this. And I'm like, I know. Boom, 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 right? And I'm waiting. Nothing's happening. Finally, like, the Lord is like, get out now before this person answers the door. So I turn around, and I walk, and I'm like, fine, fine. I just, and I go, and I sit down in my couch, and I'm like, what am I thinking? Like, what was that? Like, where did that come from? And the Lord's like, your heart, Michael, your heart, bling, 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 bling. I'm like, and I was like looking in the mirror, and I'm like, wow, like, I felt so disrespected. Like, I felt like I was being treated like a child for 10 years straight. I finally, like, had confirmation that I knew who it was. And I'm sitting there, I'm just so frustrated. And the Lord's like, Michael, this is not your jurisdiction. Chill out. I've got you under control. Let them do whatever they want to you. You know what I want you to do? Go over and give them a big hug and say, thank you, garbage can mover. And give, you know, like, (laughs) that's what I want you to do. Bake him cookies, you know, like, I don't care, but like you're doing the complete opposite of what A, my word says to do. You're entering into my jurisdiction. You're a fool. And, and you know what's going to happen if you do that? I'm going to bring him to church the next morning. You're going to have to look at him in the face and preach to him. I'm like, oh, great. Like, that's exactly what I want to happen. And, and I do want that to happen, but, you know, not after I did, did that, you know. 
Just, the Lord just has these moments where he exposes us, right? And it's his grace. I mean, I deserve to have that guy open the door. I deserve to be a jerk. Um, I deserve to have to reap what I sowed. I, you know, I deserve that um, because I'm an idiot. And the Lord is so gracious to me. The Lord is like, Michael, I saw this coming from a mile away. I, I, I navigated all of life so that this guy wasn't home at this point so that you didn't have to deal with this. And, and I just, I remember stepping back and saying, thank you, God, for allowing me to not look like any more of a fool than I have to. Thank you for not letting me blow my witness. Everybody knows I'm a pastor. Like, that's common knowledge. And here I am. So there's this woman named Abigail in the story. And we're going to, in August, actually, we're just going to spend one week and go real deep into 1 Samuel 25. Abigail's this amazingly incredible woman that I want you to, to meet, but that's, that's coming in August. So, so Abigail hears this, and Abigail's smart. Abigail loves the Lord. Abigail's wise and discerning. She knows her husband's a complete moron, and so she um, hears about what happened, what Nabal did to um, all David's men, and she knows. You don't disrespect these men like this. Like, so she gets all of this food and all of these people, and she runs out as David is in a rage. She's going, you know, he's coming to kill every single man, and she stops, and she pleads with him, and she says these amazing words to him again. In August, we'll just go deep into this woman's character. She's beautiful, but she's so wise and so cunning and so smart and so humble, and she just neutralizes David's anger and his rage, and all of a sudden, it's like he just gets this look in the mirror, and the Lord sent her to him, and I want you to read in verse 32. Here's how David responded. Chapter 25, verse 32, and David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me, Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For surely as the Lord, for surely as the, Lord the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly this morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. I would have killed every single man in that home. So much was the rage, every worker, there would have been nothing left. But God has been so good in his mercy. Um, he used your discernment and wisdom to get in front of me and to expose me. And isn't this just like God? Like we're in these moments. Anyone else been there? Am I the only one who's ever had these stupid moments where you're about to do something so dumb and the Lord just exposes you or stops you or intervenes and you step back and say, man, if I would have done that, I would have blown this whole thing. And this is just a picture of God's mercy. And David just looks in the mirror and says, man, vengeance is the Lord's. Vengeance is the Lord. And you know what his men would have said to him? They would have looked at him and said, so you won't kill the anointed, but you'll kill this guy, right? These men didn't do anything to you. And David was protected. His integrity was protected, his relationship with his men. And nobody can accuse David in this moment of not being a man after God's own heart. And I just love, I love how the Lord does this. And, and, uh, but you know what? Non-retaliation requires something really important. It requires that you trust in God's justice and in his timing. And I want to read you a passage from the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, 6 to 9. It says this, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Now, so God is going to enact vengeance. God, justice will happen. Affliction will be given. And here's the million-dollar question. Lord, when? And here's what he says. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That's when. 
in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And there's a part in that steps back and is like, yeah, that's right. Like, that's my God. Like, don't mess with me. On the other hand, I'm like, whoa, whoa. Like, if I can spare the person who is just offending me or disrespecting me on such a trite level by loving them with overwhelming kindness by, so that by the grace of God, they might be saved from that, like, who am I? Like, what does my vengeance do but move them closer to this and repel them away from Jesus Christ? Like, what if this neighbor and I go knock on his door and I'm like, no, 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 no. What if this hardens his heart toward Jesus even more? When this is his destiny and this is what I am commissioned to love him and draw him to Jesus Christ so that this is not fulfilled in his life. Like, who am I? And actually my vengeance, my my lack of self-control, my need for justice and to enter into God's jurisdiction actually pushes him farther away from Christ and closer to the wrath of God. Like, who am I to do that? And yet God says to me, you feed that person. You love that person. You are kind to that person. You pray for that person. You overwhelmingly, you turn the cheek and say, take the other side. I will not strike. And that's hard. Number three, wounds. So I was preparing the sermon and um, somebody came to mind a long time ago, a long, long time ago from high school. And I thought to myself, if I saw that person now, um, I would want to have words with them. And then I thought to myself, why am I still upset about something that happened in high school? Like, what's wrong with me? It's like the Lord is just kind of breaking open my heart and saying, check it out. This is what's really going on inside of there. And, and then I started making a list. And a few more people started coming up. And these are people from a long time ago. And I'm like, here's the crazy thing. They're all Christians. They're all Christians. And I want to... Uh, I haven't thought about these people. The Lord is just bringing it to mind. And then one of my good friends who, like, is a good friend now. I mean, he loves the Lord. Brought him to my mind. And it's like, whoa, Michael, where, where is this coming from? What is going on inside of you? And it was actually just a reminder to me, like, if you know me or if you've worked with me, like, there's a rule in our church. We say short accounts, short accounts, short accounts, short accounts. You don't hold grudges, no bitterness. If you're upset, let's deal with it right away. And here I am, and there's something 15 years old that's just lingering inside of my heart. Like, what is going on? Like, this just violates one of my fundamental premises. And then I'm like, I have a friend. I didn't even realize. I want to have serious words with this guy. And the Lord was just like, leave it. Leave it. I died for it. They're all believers. They're covered. I've got no wrath or vengeance left for them, so you don't take it upon yourself. Let it go. And the Lord was just like kind of doing hard business with me in this whole process. And, and uh, I got to imagine, you know, we, we see that David is hurt and wounded. Chapter 27, we don't have time to go there, but you start to get a glimpse into the discouragement that David is experiencing. And uh, here's what I know. When somebody has displaced me, made me run for my life, made my family run for their lives, pushed me to the edge, tried to kill me over 13 plus times, um, there's a wound there. Can I get an amen on that? Would anybody else be wounded by this experience? I'm like, okay, good. Look at 26 verse 6. David has found the camp, Saul's camp. He's with his general Abner, and they're all sound asleep. <laughs> so David said to Himelech, the Hittite, and to and to Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zariah, um, who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? So they're all sleeping. Who wants to go down with me and like go into the camp, right? And there's not enough. It's, it's, it's dark, so I'm just going to take one of you. And, and, uh, and so 
uh, Abishai said, I'll go down with you for sure. I'm loyal to you. I'll follow you wherever you go, David. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul, sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay all around him. Then, verse 8, Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please, he knows, he knows David won't do it. So here's what he says to him. Let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. Isn't it tempting to let other people fight our battles for us and to take vengeance for us? My, my hands are clean. I can't control what they do, right? And yet we have some very loyal friends. I've had some very loyal friends who have wanted to go fight my battles. I had about five illustrations come up, and they're too long to share now, but I just thought to myself, it felt so good to let my friends go and fight my battles for me. But all I was doing was letting, taking my own vengeance by sending my friends to do it, or worse, letting them. I could have stopped them. I could have said, no, stop. But I wanted vengeance. And you know what happened in every one of those circumstances? It never, ever, ever, ever went well. None of them. Verse 9, then David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. Who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come, or he will go down to battle and perish. And I got to imagine he's sitting here thinking to himself, but David, you don't understand. Okay, we are running for our lives. We don't know what's going to happen. Your job is to protect us. All's fair in battle, David. You have the right. He's trying to kill you. And David steps back and says, I don't care what he's trying to do. I will not play his game. I will not enter the Lord's jurisdiction. I will not take vengeance. He's told me not to do it. It is clear if the Lord wants him out, the Lord will take him out in his own time, in his own way. And this is what I love. I love David's understanding of the timing of vengeance says, the Lord will strike him, or in the future his day will come to die, or he will go down to battle. And he's like, you know what? I'll sit here and I will wait in the wilderness of Engedi. I will flee until the day he dies. And I would rather be in the wilderness with God than have blood guilt on my hands and enter into the Lord's jurisdiction and sin against him. And you know what? It went better for David because he did it. He wrote a psalm in the middle of this circumstance, Psalm 54, and here's what he wrote. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. Psalm 54, 4 and 5. Well, David goes, he takes a spear and a jug of water, and he goes really far away, and he gets up into a hill, and everyone's sleeping in the camp, and he yells out, Hey, Abner! Which is the general who's supposed to be protecting him. He's asleep, though. And Abner goes, uh, Who is it? And he says, Thought you're supposed to be protecting your king. You could be put to death for this. And Abner's like, What's going on? And Saul finally hears his voice, and in chapter 26, verse 17, here's what happens. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? I mean, doesn't Saul just drive you a little nuts? Like, just a little. And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O King. Look at verse 21. David talks for a little bit, and then Saul says, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm. Is that true? Negative. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and made a great mistake. I love it that our non-retaliation exposes in other people moments of moral clarity. 
that it just gives them this instance of what should happen and it exposes their foolishness. And one of the greatest ways to take vengeance is to do the exact opposite of what they expect because in that moment, it exposes all of their own foolishness. Nobody looks as stupid as the one who throws the first punch and the other person says, have the other cheek. The one who threw the punch, he's the one who looks like an idiot every time. And at the end of the day, no one will respect that person except his foolish friends. And the one that people actually honor and respect, the one who can go to bed at night and stand before the Lord with a good conscience without blood guilt on his, his heart is the one who learns to non-retaliate. That's the one. And here's what we get, verse 22. And David answered, and he said, Here's the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord, verse 23, rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. I want to close um, by drawing your heart and mind attention to Jesus. I want you to listen to 1 Peter 2.23 and just let the reality of this verse sink. When he, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But Jesus continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Imagine Peter or Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter hacks off the guard's ear and Jesus says, no, no. This is the exact opposite of what we're going for right now. The verbal and physical abuse of the guards. Uh, he could have called down a legion of angels to protect himself. He says, no. When reviled, you do not revile in return. Imagine he's sitting between, before corrupt governments, religious leaders, making a mockery of God and the system of law. And he doesn't say a word in retaliation sitting next to two thieves being mocked, doesn't say a word. Before Peter, Peter betrays him. He finds him afterwards just to make sure that Peter knows he's forgiven and that he wants him to serve. Thomas doubts his resurrection, doubts his deity, doubts who Jesus says he really is. And Jesus could have said, how disrespectful. You mean you don't believe me? You're calling me a liar? Could have done all these things. And he goes up to him and he says, put your fingers here. It's me. It's believe. Don't disbelieve. And I love this, that at every corner, Jesus nails this. He just gets this. We look at this and we say, that is how he wants us to live. When your enemy is hungry, you feed them. And by doing this, you reverse the whole system on its head. And you hate burning coals. You expose their moral um, failings. They'll get that moral clarity. And at the end of the day, who is going to defend you, protect you, and judge justly those who have afflicted you? Jesus in his own timing, at the right place, at the right time. Apparently, the Lord thinks, I need to learn this message over and over and over again. But Jesus understood, I think, one thing of vast importance that I want to just share with you as we close, that God will exact justice for every wrongdoing ever committed through either sentencing or substitution. Everything, doesn't matter. Every wrongdoing, every injustice, tube popper, line cutter, garage, garage can mover, whatever, garbage can mover. All these injustices in the world, which as I, put, as I put them in the context of Jesus getting executed, they're absolutely meaningless and worthless, let's be honest. Um, but all of these injustices, we step back and we say, you know what? God will deal with them perfectly, perfectly. And you have two options at this point. Option number one, Jesus pays for your sins. Option number two, you pay for your sins. Can I just encourage you for a moment? Don't pay for your own sins. 
at all. That's foolish. Nobody can stand under the wrath of God and live. But on Jesus, the sins of every single human being who would ever trust in Jesus Christ are put on him so that there is none, not one ounce of his anger or wrath or vengeance left for those who would trust in Christ. Not one ounce. So speaking for myself, I'm, I can be a fool. I've illustrated that well this morning. But God, for my foolishness and my rebellion, uh, put all of his anger and righteous wrath that was, should have been directed at me on Jesus so that I do not and will not nor will I ever bear one ounce of the wrath of God for my sins. That's awesome. I don't deserve that. I deserve to have my neighbor open up the door and have a yelling contest and then have him here sitting here in the front row in the next morning. That's what I deserve, right? And I just step back and I'm like, God, thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for being just. You have not just overlooked my sins, you have fully dealt with them so that justice has been served fully. And Lord Jesus, uh, even though I want you to come, but for the moment where you come back again and today, would you allow me to bring the gospel to as many people as possible so they can have that same experience so they don't have to bear under the weight of their own sins and bear the wrath of God for all of eternity? Lord, would you allow me the privilege to help people see the light of Jesus Christ? Because that's huge, that's heavy. And God, when I meet people, may I not distract them from the love of God because of my own vengeance and my own wrath and my own insecurity and my own need for respect or my own need for revenge or whatever it is. Lord, would you give me the grace? Would you help me figure out uh, how do I draw them to Jesus through my non-retaliation? Would you expose their moral failings through my moral integrity? And would you use that as a means to have a powerful conversation about the glory of Jesus Christ and about the fact that Jesus even died for that sin? Let's pray together. We're going to worship, and I just, Lord, I am frustrated at myself, and God, I know there's probably a bunch of people here who feel the same way. Lord, why do we do the things that we do? It's because we're sinners. Lord, I thank you that you are changing us, exposing us every day more and more. The trajectory of our life is becoming more like Christ, but God, it is a long journey from that day till this. And so, God, for all of us who have been exposed for myself, I just want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. I want to thank you for how gentle you've been with me personally. I want to thank you that certain people don't answer doors. I want to thank you for even moments of clarity and self-control or I don't have to yell or get angry at people. And I want to thank you for those moments. And I want to thank you for all the moments where I don't submit to your word and I take vengeance and I enter into your jurisdiction. Um, thank you for being so gracious and forgiving me. Thank you for dealing justly with those acts of rebellion. God, our desire is to love. And so I pray that as your word is also exposed and convicted, that you would encourage us and give us opportunities to turn the cheek, to feed the hungry, to pray for our enemies. And that God, as we do that, people would see their own sin and their need for Jesus and trust in him. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.